that God spoke to me about this message. It's called Wake Up. And he spoke to me about it in December 2019. 2019. Oh, oh, didn't we take that for granted? Didn't we? What a great time that was. <laughs> but for reason after reason, even though God placed this message in my heart, when I was scheduled to preach it, plans kept changing. And so I really believe the time is now. I haven't, um, I haven't asked to preach this message. I was waiting for the time uh, that it was right. And I believe that time is now. And actually, I believe it's got a whole lot more context now than it did maybe when I started writing it last year because I, along with all of you, had no idea what was to come this year. I've just got a sound effect I want to play. <laughs> that sound I hate that sound I hate it <laughs> but it's a sound that is a daily necessity for us it's a must-have to keep us awake for the right time to be prepared for the day what I feel that God is saying at the moment is he is trying to wake up the church across the earth God is trying to wake up people to the truth and revelation of who he is and the et eternal impact of knowing him as our Lord and Savior Psalm 121 says that God does not slumber and he does not sleep. He watches over us now and forevermore. However, he did create us with sleep being a human condition, a necessity of rest. And we were designed to sleep in the night and wake in the day. Sorry to all the shift workers out there. I know that makes it really tough. The picture that God gave me is that his people are asleep in the daytime. Like, God is setting off the alarm in the morning and we are hitting the snooze button. Oh, no, I can't be morning yet. No, I'm still tired. I can't be bothered getting up to face this day. Snooze again. Snooze again and again. Who's a serial snoozer? <laughs> Sleep is for physical rest and regeneration, mental rest and refreshment. The problem is we weren't designed to stay in a state of sleep. Long-term sleep does not mean more physical renewal and mental refreshment. It results in a comatose state. When someone is in a permanent or semi-conscious state of coma, their body actually degenerates through lack of use. Have you ever craved a sleep-in? Like, all those with kids are saying, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't sarcastic, that one. It's like we crave it, but when we finally get it, like you sleep until 10 or 11 in the morning after normally getting up at 6, you actually feel rubbish for the rest of the day. You know what I mean? It's like you wait for it. It's all I need is a sleep in and I'll feel so much better, and you don't. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. It's in God's word. Now, we as the church are the body of Christ, right? Well, maybe parts of the body have gone to sleep. We've been resting on them too long. And what's the alarm? What's the warning sign? Pins and needles, right? What happens when we ignore that warning? We go completely numb. Our limbs don't operate anymore, and the whole body is affected. Does this sound like this could have been happening to the church over the past few decades? I think it could have. I believe what God's shown me is that the devil has been singing us a lullaby, and we have been lulled into complacency, compromise, and comfort. And while he seems to be so prevalent in the earth right now, I feel like the alarm is going off and God is calling us to wake up to the devil's schemes. Yeah. When I was reading through the word, 
I didn't see um, examples of alarm clocks, but there was something else that was a biblical alarm clock, and that was the trumpet or the shofar. In Isaiah 18.3, it says, All you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look. When a trumpet is blown, hear. This is Old Testament prophecy that related to a people and a place, but it speaks of Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord God Almighty. And it reminds us to be alert and to listen. Don't ignore the warnings. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So this is in the New Testament. This chapter speaks of the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. It talks about what once was temporary becomes eternal through death and God's victory over it. The trumpet sounds and the dead will be raised to life in Christ. Can we play the trumpet sound? That's the shofar, the trumpet. The alarm has been set for such a time as this. The trumpeter is standing with his trumpet raised to his lips, waiting for the command. And if you're questioning whether this is an end times message, then yes, it probably is. From the moment that Jesus ascended to heaven after his death on the cross and his victory over death, we have been in end times. It is end times because we are between Jesus' first coming a baby born to the Virgin Mary, lived his life on earth, showed us the way to live, performed miracles, went to the cross, sacrificed himself so that we might have life and freedom from death eternally. And the second coming of Christ that is prophesied by John in the book of Revelation says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. No one knows the day or hour, so I'm not saying it's upon us, just relax. There's more end times prophecy to be fulfilled. But I do think God is asking us to stop hitting the snooze button and wake up to the times we're in. So there are different states of sleep and wakefulness. So let's talk about each of them, and maybe you can position yourself in one of these states as we discuss them, not like physically, but spiritually. The first one, dead sleep, like you're out, you're gone, you're in deep slumber, you're not aware of the world around you, you're very difficult to wake, if not impossible. In fact, your snoring would drown out any alarm. You are dead sleep. This is the state of the unbeliever who has not yet been roused to the truth. They don't even know at this point that they are in need of a saviour. The second one is sleepwalking. A sleepwalker is in between wakefulness and sleep. A sleepwalker is often living between two worlds, their dream world and the physical world, world that their body is in. They're often confused. They become anxious, knowing something's not quite right. Directionless and aimless, wandering around, trying to make sense of the two worlds coming together. 
Who's a sleepwalker? Oh, are you? Interesting, Julia. Well, <laughs> tell you what, we come from a family of sleepwalkers. Um, it seemed to be more in my childhood years. I sleepwalked all the time. Carl sleepwalked up until probably about 10 years ago. I'm not quite sure what changed. <laughs> he stopped. Uh, and our son, Caleb, sleepwalks all the time. Uh, so my, I'm going to tell you my most memorable uh, sleepwalking story, which I found out later. Of course, I don't have a memory of it at the time. Uh, I was invited to a sleepover with a friend. That's bad enough when we're talking about sleepwalking. But this was a sleepover on a yacht. Yeah. So it was on a yacht in Diamond Harbour, and uh, we, my friend and I were sleeping right in the, in the hull part, and then the parents were in the middle part. And so apparently at night I got up, and I was obviously having a dream that I couldn't find my friend Lorna. So I got up, apparently, walked through the hull where the parents were sleeping, climbed up a ladder, unzipped the, I don't know what it's called, thingy, canvas, and climbed through up onto the outside of the yacht, and was walking around that little ledge, you know, on the outside. <laughs> and I was calling out for my friend Lorna. And so the parents woke up, obviously freaking out, didn't want to wake me up in case I fell in the water. And so, quite genius, they said, oh, we've found her, she's down here. And I went back down, got into bed and went back to sleep. <laughs> Can be dangerous living in between these two worlds. Caleb, as I said, sleepwalks all the time. And he's a bit harder to work out. Sometimes he'll come down and you'll know he's sleepwalking because he'll just talk nonsense. He'll just say something weird or he'll act weird. But sometimes he comes out and he actually, he seems quite normal. You just can't quite tell. So Carl devised a way that we'd be able to tell whether Caleb was sleepwalking or not. He decided to ask him just the most random question. And if he was sleepwalking, he'd usually go along with it. And if not, he'd wonder what was going on. So Carl would say something like, oh, mate, what are you doing? Where did you park your horse? And Caleb would either go, oh, it's just over there, you know, or he'd go, what are you talking about, Dad, you weirdo, you know, so you'd kind of be able to work out what was going on. But sleepwalking is the state of someone who hasn't previously believed in God or known him personally, but is starting to seek the truth. They're between two worlds in the search. If you're here today and you're new to faith in Jesus, or perhaps you've been drawn to come for church, to church and you're not really sure why, I want to encourage you that you may have already heard from God. You may have heard the sound of the alarm that God is setting off across the earth and responded to find out what that sound is. So I want to encourage you, just keep following, just keep pursuing the truth, and I believe you, you are going to find Jesus. The third one is light sleep, the snoozer. You're in that restful state, but still aware of the sounds of the outside world. Every now and then you open your eyes, you're aware of where you are, and to wake up fully wouldn't take too much. You're almost waiting for the alarm to go off, but when it does, you still press snooze. This is the state of a believer who kind of realizes something is going on spiritually in the earth, but is not necessarily doing anything about it, maybe not seeking God more, maybe not increasing the prayer and word life, maybe not sharing with unbelievers. It hasn't resulted in full wakefulness, but is not blind to the spiritual state of the world around them. And the fourth one is awake, fully awake. These are our zealous prayers, awake to the signs of the times, hearing the voice of God and acting on it in obedience, living selflessly for the cause of Christ with lives of grace, love, and truth, champions of the gathered church and active as the scattered church. They are ready. And you might find yourself maybe in between some of those states this morning. 
when I was considering these states of sleep, I was reminded of how many zombie movies and shows are out there right now. I hate zombie stuff. I just hate it. Like the whole concept of the waking dead who are driven by an eternal, like, insatiable hunger for human flesh. It's just, it's gross. I just don't like it. And there's vampires too. It's another thing that's just really popular right now. Uh, you know, eternally dead but alive creatures who live off the lifeblood of humans. When you really think about it on a spiritual level, these two are signs of the times we are in. When popular culture of the world lifts up stories like this, it's because it's portraying something spiritually that they don't know is even maybe half truth. Now, I'm not saying there is going to be a zombie apocalypse, but I did find, while researching this, there are actually zombie apocalypse classes, of course, in the US. Um, you can actually go along and learn how to live through a zombie apocalypse, and it's serious, actually serious, amazing. But there is another, uh, I think, zombie apocalypse upon us right now. It's the smartphone edition. I've got some photos just to explain what I mean by that. This is in an art gallery with these incredible works of art and these young people on their phones waiting for a train because we don't know how to wait anymore without looking at something. Got to love that. Doesn't this sum up what we've become? <laughs> and I think this is the future, seeing eye people for people with cell phones. I think that might be the next thing that we have to move to. And, I, I, you know, it's a joke, but to be honest, I challenge myself on this sometimes. Anyway, enough about my observations about movies and smartphones. Let's look at a couple of examples in the Word of God that talk about sleep and awakening and see what we can learn from them. The first one uh, is the, from the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 46. This is when Jesus was about to be led to his crucifixion on the cross. He was about to go into a time of incredible suffering and separation from God. And he's with his disciples and they're in the garden. Let me read it. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled, unsurprisingly. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Oh, the poor guys. Their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus' anxiety grew in the garden as he, his unknowing and weary friends could not watch with him, not even for a short time. He urged them to be alert, for a trial was coming, and he knew they were weak. So he asked a second time. But again, not his own will, but ultimately the Father's will that he sought. And in the account of the same story from Luke, chapter 22, verse 43, when he prayed that second time, 
and anguish. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. God heard his prayer and swiftly answered with the strength of an angel. Not for him to rest. Jesus had no one else to turn to. But Jesus, now having been encouraged and strengthened by this angel, what did he do? He used that strength to pray all the more earnestly. So much so that he began to sweat drops of blood upon the ground. And this account is in Luke. And Luke was the doctor, the physician. So he gives the physical perspective of what Jesus was suffering. Jesus again approached his weary friends and again he found himself alone. So a third time he went and prayed, there was no time left. But now looking at the story, could we all be the disciples in the garden? Jesus, with the pain and suffering of this world on his shoulders, interceding to the Father on the world's behalf, shedding tears of compassion and sweating blood as he holds the world in his hands. Yet we sleep. And Jesus says, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. Rise, let us go. The second story in the Bible I want to refer to is the Valley of Dry Bones from Ezekiel. Ezekiel was given the title Watchman by God. In the ancient world, this was an official military title. The person was to watch and be on the lookout for opposition and attacks. They were positioned on the city walls and they were responsible for sounding the alarm to alert the city to the approach of the enemy. Like a military watchman, Ezekiel's task was to alert God's people at the sight of alarm so they could respond in repentance. It was an important role to fulfill and actually failure to report God's word to the people resulted in death. So let's go to Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. So this indicates that this is a vision that God has brought Ezekiel in to see. So in the middle of the valley, it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, been there for a long time. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. As you know, for those that have been in the church this year, we've been in a season called Prepare, and a calling to put Jesus at the centre of all we do and all we are. Prepare. Have you asked the question yet, prepare for what? I think we are finding the answer in this prophecy. Prepare to come to life as the body of Christ, a vast army. The power of the prophetic word 
as Ezekiel was obedient to what God, God told him to say, spoke life into the bones and tissue and life into breath, and the long dead came to life. For too long, I think we have been passive prayers. God, I need this. God, I want this. God, would you do this? God, would you do that? Jesus died on the cross and overcame death so that we might have the victory. He gave us the authority to command the devil to flee. He gave us the authority to pray for miracles. We keep praying and asking him, could you, would you? And he is saying to us, it is already done. Now appropriate the victory of the cross. Stand on the authority you've been given and fight the enemy that I have conquered. This has been on our hearts for the last few months. And actually with David and Greta Peters, uh, who are prophets, they're coming here in two weeks' time. And on Saturday, they're running a seminar called Call to Arms. It's a spiritual warfare seminar. When we planned them coming this year, that wasn't the seminar they were going to do. (laughs) But through our retreat, prayer retreat days and times with the Lord, we've just felt that God is asking us to equip the church, to equip the church to fight. And so this is part of what the seminar is about. Learn how to contend in prayer. Learn and be sure of the authority we have. Become confident in praying assertive prayers. Let's get ready. For some of you, this is confronting and even scary. You're saying, but I hardly feel saved, let alone fight the enemy and have authority to pray like that. I'm still stuck in my sin. I can't be in the army. I'll just serve the oranges at half time. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is saved. You have as much authority as a co-heir of Christ as I do. So you sin. Shock, horror, we all do. That's what God's grace is for. You don't know how to pray? It's okay, we've all been there. Come and learn. But it's not in my nature or personality. I'm a shy, anxious introvert. Guess what? God didn't create anyone who couldn't live out what they were designed for. And we were all designed to worship, to pray, and to rebuke the enemy. I'm a shy introvert too, so if I can do this, you can all pray. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 to 15. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It doesn't matter how far in darkness or sin you feel or what has bound you in the past. This scripture promises us that everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything illuminated becomes a light. How incredible is that? Bring it out of the darkness into the light. It's not only defeated, but it becomes a testimony to the glory of God. This is a powerful truth. And what is the command and promise that follows? Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. David and Greta Peters, as I mentioned before, prophets, um, they send out a monthly newsletter. 
and if you want to, you can go onto their website and sign up for it. I really encourage you, because every month there's something in it that they've been praying and hearing from God, either for the church, for the nation, for the world, whatever it might be. As I said, I wrote part of this message in December last year and was encouraged when I received their January newsletter. And looking back on it, I uh, found it, well, I shouldn't be surprised that the prophets actually prophesied what was to come, but, but it is always encouraging. So I'll read to you from their January newsletter before everything went to custard. A new decade. A decade that will see great turbulence in the nations, but also significant advancement of God's kingdom. Numbers of prophetic voices around the world are predicting that the 2020s and the 2030s could see an unprecedented, we know that word really well now, unprecedented spiritual awakening in many nations and multitudes coming into the kingdom of God. We believe that the 2020s will be a difficult decade of shaking in the world, but in the midst of it all, great spiritual awakening will come. Of course, as US prayer leader Lou Engel has said, Every prophecy is an invitation to intercession. Though God has spoken it, its fulfillment depends on the church praying it into being. God is releasing four fires into the earth at present. The fire of prayer, the fire of mission, the fire of love for his word, and the fire of hunger for him and his presence and power. Let's ensure as we enter the 2020s that we catch the fire, passion, purity, power that is coming from heaven. The Salvation Army of old's continual cry was, send the fire, and they changed the world. For the sake of this current world, let our cry be the same. Wow. But like I said, prophecy is nothing without action. So will it start with you? Will it start with us? A people who are awake to the plans and purposes of God. Can the worship team join me? We're going to sing a song in a minute called Graves to Gardens. I love this song. One of my favorite verses there is, you turn graves into gardens, you turn bones into armies, you turn seas into highways, you're the only one who can. Chris Brown from Elevation Worship, who is one of the writers of the song, explains some of its meaning. From Two Kings, which details that after the prophet Elisha died, his story didn't end there. Two Israelites were near his gravesite, about to bury another man when they saw a band of enemy raiders coming. They threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. As soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. It's from 2 Kings 13. Elisha still had a resurrection miracle left in his bones that God activated, and God is still in the business of bringing dead things to life. If we'll trust God, even with the seemingly dead areas of our lives, if we'll believe in the power of God, if we'll declare resurrection power over everything we sow, nothing will be wasted. Nothing is over. God can turn any situation around. That's from Chris. Why don't you stand? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Father, today, we acknowledge you again as our creator, as the author and finisher of life. Jesus, you are our saviour and our redeemer, source of grace, mercy and restoration. Holy Spirit, you are with us and in us. Through the most difficult times, you provide us with comfort and peace. You are who you say you are, Lord. And as we have looked at the word today, we thank you for your resurrection power. Lord, you overcame sin and death and you secured for us life. In your word, Lord, it says that you have set before us life and death. Choose life. 
Today, Lord, we choose life. We ask, Lord, that you resurrect the dead things in us back to life. Dead faith, dead hope, dead dreams, sickness. To you, we proclaim life. We take authority over any spirit of death or despair that tries to steal, kill, or destroy. And we accept the fullness of your spirit, Lord, in which we have eternal life, eternal hope, and eternal joy. Lord, let us be awake to the things that you are doing in this earth. Let us have eyes of faith and ears to hear your voice in the midst of our times. We choose to wake up. We choose not to sleep and slumber and remain comfortable. We choose you, Lord, and we choose life. For everyone here, Lord, I pray that this season would be one of revelation, wisdom, and truth. We look to you, Lord, for where does our help come from? The Lord God Almighty. Amen. As we sing this, I want you to consider, in what ways is your faith asleep? What parts of your life are in slumber or even death? What is it you need the power of God to wake you up in or bring life to? He's the only one who can. Let's sing together.